Ooh, thank God, all those on the platform, uh, Matthew chapter 9 in your Bibles, I want you to turn there. Ernie had asked me last night, what do you preach tomorrow? I said, I really don't know. And I was truthful. <clears throat> you know, it's funny that you have a whole folder of stuff that you're always stashing, inspirations, and then you go to it and it doesn't jump out at you. Uh, you know, preaching really is a Holy Ghost thing. It really is God directing you. Uh, but before I even got home last night, I was already inspired um, on this topic. So Matthew 9, as uh, many of you know, I'm a pretty avid uh, vegetable gardener, and it's that time of the year. Uh, so two weeks ago, I uh, put my starters in for what we call our spring garden. Now, starters simply mean I planted the seed uh, most of them have broken through the soil, and so the beginning of a process that will conclude sometime in mid to late May has begun. Now, right now, these seedling plants are fragile uh, and have to be watched over with great care. Uh, they require daily attention with very careful application of water, of food, then they will go into the ground sometime in late March, mid to late March, depending on how the weather, weather patterns hold up. And that's another time, a fragile time, as you transplant. It's a time they need great care. Uh, and now you're seeking to develop a good root system. And all along, the whole end result is, is plants that will bear forth fruit. And so... Along the way, these plants become susceptible to insect infestation, different types of funguses, root diseases. And already many of you said, why even do it? Just go to Walmart and buy the stuff, right? And some of the plants will survive. Some will not. Some will bear much fruit. But the work and the attention necessary to bring these plants to a fruit-bearing status is constant and it is deliberate, and if at any time I just decide to leave them to themselves, they won't make it. Now, my involvement and hands-on approach is paramount to their success and them reaching the ultimate goal of established fruit-bearing plants. Now, what I have just described is a parallel to the kingdom of God. This is my parable to you tonight. I've just given you my agricultural parable. And what I would say, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. The kingdom of God is all about people. God's command to us is to be fruitful and to multiply. And the gospel works when you preach the gospel, when you evangelize. As we see, there's no shortage of People coming in, getting saved, whether we're outside, whether we're inside, the gospel works. And as we remain committed to outreach and evangelism as a congregation, we will constantly see people coming and giving their lives to Christ. It has never been a problem getting people saved, but the problem is getting them fully established as long-term fruit-bearing Christians. That's a whole other story. Here is the need, and Jesus said as much in the text I'm going to read, 
And I want to preach to you about the harvest and the needed laborer. And I want to summons you tonight into God's harvest field. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness, every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. The harvest and the needed laborers. I want to first consider the ultimate objective. In our text, Jesus is preaching and teaching And he is seeing tremendous results. And the Bible says here in verse 35 that Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So Jesus is having great success when it comes to his miracle ministry. And he is having great success when it comes to the crowds of people that are following him. And they're coming to hear his preaching and teaching and they're coming to receive miracles of healing. And and many today would say that is an absolute success. And in many ministries today, this is what they call success, specifically the fact that we can gather large crowds of people. Unfortunately, much of today's Christianity doesn't have the healing part at work. But the sense you get in our text is that Jesus is not satisfied. There's something that's unsettled in him. Although on a surface level, this is high success. And Jesus said in verse 36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So Jesus points out a major missing element in this following that is after him, that there are lots of people, but they're like sheep having no shepherd. In other words, if they don't get a shepherd, somebody to take care of them, they're going to scatter and they're going to be lost. Now, Jesus knew that he alone could not facilitate this many people. He also knew that he would be leaving this earth and would no longer be there for them. And so he's actually making this appeal for his disciples. So the heart of God is moved for these people, knowing that they're going to need help, that they're going to become, if they're going to become more than superficial followers of Christ, they're going to need a shepherd. They're going to need an investment. Now the ultimate objective is lasting and remaining fruit. You know, thank God we can have events and good turnouts and those we rejoice over and uh, that's how everything begins. But that rejoicing is short-lived if you look up a month later and you have nobody that's established because of that. The ultimate objective is lasting fruit and You know, when you think about it, the turnover rate in many churches is very high. Lots coming in, but there's also lots going out. The Bible gives us a picture of what the ultimate objective is. And it's Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. So here is a picture of someone who has separated themselves from the world. They love the word of God. They study it for themselves. It's on their minds constantly. They have developed a deep, strong root system like a tree that has been planted by the rivers of water. They're deeply rooted in God's congregation and their lives are prospering and fruitful. That is the ultimate picture of the ultimate objective that we have as Christians. Not only for our lives, but for the lives of all others that God would bring in. And Jesus, no doubt, has this in mind as he sees all these people. They're all responding, they're following But he realizes it's not going to happen unless others rise up and invest in them as a shepherd does in their sheep. And so he's issuing this challenge and he's laying it at the feet of his disciples and of you and I. Now Jesus gives a discourse in John 15 and it's the one of the vine and the branches. And and in that he says in John 15, 16, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask of the father in my name, he'll give you. So so here's the objective. It's not just that we bear fruit or have some success in an outreach or in an evangelistic event, but that that fruit should remain. How should it remain as a tree planted by the rivers of water that would flourish? Uh, That's the type of fruit that God is looking for. And so this presents a clear directive to each of us tonight. That God looks for us not only to bear fruit. On the one hand, that's the obligation of every single confessing Christian. That you would be about the business of soul winning. Everyone here, every one of us is obligated to that. But beyond that, God doesn't only just look for fruit, but he but he looks for fruit that will remain. And this was Jesus' concern in the text. As he see, you know, tremendous miracles. God is moving. He's working. Uh, and lots to rejoice over. But Jesus is seeing way more need than there is people to meet the need. So the potential that many of these following him will not get the care and the attention they need in order to become remaining long-term fruit-bearing trees themselves. So, so let me then talk to you secondly about the needed laborers. Because this was the lack that Jesus pinpoints in the text in verse 37 and 38. As he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I would dare to say that if that's on your heart to pray, then more than likely that's on your heart to become. God, not only am I praying that you raise up them, but raise up me. 
as a laborer in this harvest. And Jesus is specifically making a call for laborers, workers, in the area of people and working with people and taking the burden and the need of people and making it your occupation. Not just something we kind of mess around with a little on the side here, but something that is our occupation in the kingdom of God. And more specifically, he is speaking of people who need a shepherd in their lives and not just a pastor, but people that would function as shepherds in their lives, young converts, struggling converts, people that are following God. They've been touched by God. Their lives have been moved by God, but there's no depth and they desperately need someone laboring to establish them and see them become a tree planted and flourishing with deep roots over the long haul. That's the need. Now, statistics show, and obviously this is a overall, what they jumble together as Christian, statistic that less than 1% of evangelical Christians involve themselves in visitation or follow-up. Less than 1%. So this is one of the glaring needs in any congregation, and we are not exempt. Remember when Jesus sent his disciples by two into the cities, and he told them, you're going to enter these cities, You're going to re- some will receive you, some will not. He says, if they receive you, Stay with them and let your peace come upon them. So Jesus has given them power to heal the sick and they're going out seeing tremendous results just like Jesus did. They're impacting people. But Jesus said that what they really need is they need a labor that will go beyond the initial impact. It's great to make babies, but how how many know raising babies is the hard part? Making babies is the easy part. Evangelizing is the easy part. And Jesus said, stay with them. Let your peace come upon them. In other words, invest in them. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So the whole idea surrounding the understanding that people left to themselves will not make it through the difficult places in life. Uh, Converts left to themselves will not make it through the assaults that come from the world, uh, from religious proselytes, from confusion. Uh, People need help. They need your help. They need my help. And that's the constant call of the Word of God to every Christian. Workers in the people arena is the great need. They did a study on 50 converts saved and locked in. Of those 50, 45 of them could point to at least six friends within the first six months of their salvation. They examined 50 people that got saved but did not continue serving God and found exactly the opposite 
Of those 50, 43 could only identify three friends. So here's a major part of locking people in and seeing them flourish is the involvement of God's people in their lives. So this presents to us a need for a network of laborers that are actively involved in people's lives. We don't have time for the jealousy trips. That's my convert. That's my convert. Oh, get over yourself. We need a network of laborers that are co-laboring and working with the people God gives us. And the reality is that converts don't come in the church whole. They often come in the way that Lazarus came out of the tomb. He was bound and he smelled like death. Lazarus' recovery was completed because of human involvement. God did the miracle, but the disciples had to take off the grave clothes. And how many of that could be very unpleasant? They even said, Lord, he stinketh. He stinks, Lord. They're unraveling these grave clothes and underneath is half-rotted flesh because he was dead for like four days. Jesus said, okay, I rose him from the dead. You go and get him dressed up all right. Human involvement that completes the process. One person said the bond of relationship is the greatest bond to cement new believers in the church. So we're not just looking for acquaintances or just, you know, hi, see you again on Sunday. No, we're looking for relationships that begin to grow and flourish and that you always have room in your little circle for more. And this was Paul's habit in a day when it was a major task to get from one place to another. You know, follow-up today is not that difficult. we got cars that can go fast enough if people in El Paso would drive a little faster. Amen. You give them a 65 mile an hour speed limit, they drive 60. You give them a 60 mile an hour, they drive 55. I'm like, what is your problem? And then you're in the left lane. At least get over there. Anyway, that's my rant for the day. But, but in a day when it was a major task to get from one place to another, and in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 22, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples... They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations into the kingdom of God. So the highlight of the New Testament church was the way that they made a priority of spending time with people. That even in a day, you look that up on the map in your Bible, those cities, and they were scattered, and they were long distances of walking or writing, however they went, uh, but it was no easy process. But yet they put it within themselves that we're going to go and we're going to go back and visit again and we're going to exhort them and make sure that they are established in the faith. And in Acts chapter 2, 46 and 47, remember this is on the heels uh, of 3,000 people getting saved, right? That's, That's quite an outreach. That's quite an influx into the church. The Bible says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily who were being saved. Well, 
There is a link between labors and God's ability to add daily to the church. There's a direct link between workers and God's ability to add daily to the church. And the whole idea is that they were about this business uh, of people. They met from house to house. Uh, They were constantly in fellowship, constantly in the word together, uh, and they were having favor with people. So here's the need. The question is, who will meet the need? Who will begin to orient their lives to be laborers in the kingdom? Are you going to be the less than 1% or are you going to be uh, the 90-something percent that doesn't involve themselves? Oh, well, you know, that's kind of the curse of having paid staff in a big church because you just figure, well, they'll do it. Well, God didn't just call us to do it. He called everyone in the church to do it. And he said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of harvest to send labors into the harvest. This is the need. So let me talk about bringing fruit to maturity. This was what Jesus was concerned about in our text. These people that were following him needed others that would be shepherds in their lives. And how many know, and you do know, that's why we struggle with it, that there's a lot of time and effort necessary in order to bring people to full maturity in Jesus Christ. It's not good enough that they are coming to church on their own now. There's still lots of deficiencies that they can easily be ripped off. Easily. Matter of fact, we try to figure out through a year as, as Ernie has a constant flow of, of the uh, uh, attendances of the church. You'll see that presented in our business meeting at the end of the year. And on the one hand, we can say, boy, we've seen so many new people get saved. We see so many new faces. Thank God. But yet the numbers didn't go up very much. So where are we losing them at? Where's the attrition coming from? And it's a problem of not bringing people to full maturity in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean just because we're doing that, that everyone will be established and rooted. No, but a whole lot more will. A whole lot more will. So our labor must be a commitment that leads to completion. This is what pioneering is all about. You better learn how to do it now. You better be finding someone that you're working with in all your busyness and working with and imparting, because that's what pioneering is. It's you bringing in people and you're bringing them to completion and adding them to the core to build a church. And when those converts are well established, rooted, intertwined in the congregation, able to teach others and bearing fruit, now you can find another and do it all over again. Because it's all about building relationships. It's all about building relationships. One of the first things I ask when people come to me and there's a tension point or there's a, they kind of ran into a little bit of a dead end or, or they're noticing with a convert some certain things and they'll say, well, well, should I speak to them on this level? And I always ask them, well, what kind of relationship you have with them? 
Because that goes a long way in what you can say to people. Sometimes you take for granted, you'll hear uh, one of us speak to somebody in a certain way, and you'll go about speaking the same way and you don't get, because you don't have a relationship. You have to have a relationship. Converts cannot be an afterthought. They have to be constantly in your thoughts. It comes down to discipleship. Are you making disciples or church attenders? Because there's a big difference. Are you even involved with people? And I realize we're busy people. Some of you have a lot of problems in your home. Things are going on. But it would do you well to get involved with people. We're not telling you to get involved with ten different people. Just find somebody to invest in. If you're married, find a couple to invest in. There's plenty of need, trust me. If you're not sure, just ask Ernie. He'll point you in the right direction. So I want you to present some practical ways that we bring this maturity about in people's lives because they're practical, they're not new, but you're going to realize how much it's missing in your approach to people. The first of those has to do with getting people rooted in the Word of God. I'm going to say this. Hopefully it will blow up your understanding. Three sermons a week will not accomplish this. I know it's a major thing. When we do get someone to start coming to more than one church service, it's massive. It's big. They're getting the word of God. It's certainly feeding them. But it is not going to get the level because there's a lot that we never touch or we touch barely, scarcely, that they need in their lives that comes on a practical one-on-one level with people. The word of God. It all begins simply by teaching someone how to read their Bible. We don't think of though. We just think they're going to get it. No, they aren't going to get it. They may. But they need someone helping them with that. Well, how do you read the Bible? Well, direct them. Teach them. Show them where to start reading and why. Do they have a Bible? And this eventually involves a deep dive into the Bible with people. Because what I've found out is anytime I have people over to my house or they invite me over to their house, it almost inevitably turns into a conversation about the Word of God. And we're talking things that is just, you can tell it's enriching. It's enriching for me, for sure. It's enriching for them. We're, we're discussing topics. They've got questions. They, they've filed away and, and they're growing just by that. If all that your fellowship is, is eating and then talking about whatever, it's deficient. It has to evolve into the word of God somewhere in the night. Because this is a, a necessity. You must be assuring that converts are getting their roots in the Bible and in doctrine. Now that's important. Maybe not at first, eventually. First, they don't need the, the meat pieces. But listen to me. Because whenever you say doctrine, you say, well, we'll just leave that to the staff. No, you need to be well studied so that you can impart to others. This is done by study groups and in home fellowships. It's, it's deliberate. It is something you set out to assure is happening. Not just hope it happens or maybe it will. No, I'm setting out to assure that this happens. Constantly talking about the Word of God and finding out where a convert is 
in their understanding, finding out what their struggle points are. Some of them have come from religious backgrounds or have uh, uh, people in their lives, in their families that have false doctrines that are always pulling on them. You have to know this. You have to tap this early on in their conversion. See if they're confused. What kind of books are they reading? There's all sorts of crazy books out there in the religious world. When I say spit out the bones, they don't know what that means. What do you mean spit out the bones? To them it's like, what? That, you're, you're, they're here choking on the bones. <laughs> spit them out. Because the devil will assure that new converts are exposed to false doctrine and are being followed up on by religious relatives or co-workers And you need to be right there filling the gap by spending weekly time with them in the Word of God. So that's a big part of getting them established in the kingdom of God. Second practical way we bring them to maturity is by teaching them how to pray. This begins by you praying. Getting converts in pre-service prayer meetings... uh, with you. Talk about prayer with them. Teach what the Bible says about prayer. We, we just assume everyone gets it. it. No, it doesn't. There's a lot of people slip through the cracks because nobody wants to take the time out in these areas of their lives. Jesus' disciples needed this. They saw their lack. And in Luke 11, 1, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place and he seized... So so they're watching him pray, and they said, the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray as John also taught his disciples. So this will require you coming to pre-church prayer meetings and bringing them with you, and along with a lot of conversation on the topic that this is paramount to bringing a convert to maturity, to where they have a flourishing prayer life themselves. Third is you must teach them how to evangelize and witness. It's one of the things I try to get through to those that lead the outreaches on Saturday. Find out if there are any new converts in the group. And pair them with somebody so that they can learn how to do it. That's how I learned. I remember Tom Bender, Silver City, New Mexico. They would come down and Tom just had this knack for one-on-one witnessing at a door. It was just I would just sit there and, and just in awe. And I would follow him around because I would knock on the door and dribble would come out of my mouth. I didn't know what to say, how to do it. And I'd just shove a flyer in their face. And he's there and he knew how to ask questions and get in. And, and he would, people would open the door for him. And I learned so much just watching him one-on-one witness at a door. I was saved in a pioneer church, so the pastor was my follow-up worker. He would take me on outreaches. One time he tricked me really bad. So he, I thought we were going to go eat because that was always the thing that he got us on is eating. And so we're on our way, but, but we stopped at apartment. We go, oh, before we get there, we're going to go outreach real quick. And he just throws flyers on me and then takes me up into these apartments. He's sneaky. And then when we were out, he would witness to people when I was around him and I would see this. And this would not only be infectious for me, it not only would embolden me, but it would teach me. And this is how you do it. 
Converts must be taught how to evangelize, stirred to witness and testify. Oh, there would be those firebrands that just get it and run with it, but a lot of them, that's not the case. The fourth thing, if we're going to bring people to full maturity, is you must teach them a committed Christian lifestyle. Now, there's a, a delicate approach to this. It isn't just this in your face, you've been coming a week, you need to be involved in everything type of approach. But it deals with a life that is centered around the things of God as a priority. And again, by you spending time with Him, and if you're living at that level, uh, it's going to go a long way in promoting this. But this has to happen if people are going to come to full maturity. That they have to come to a place where their Christian lifestyle centers around the things of God. And and obviously we are always pushing to try to get people to come to three services a week because we know it's for their health. It's going to take time, and it's done patiently and graciously, but you must be what you're trying to get them to be, and that's why a lot of people won't work with people, because they don't want to be that. Well, shame on you for being so selfish. A highly committed Christian that puts God first and makes the things of God a priority, and you bring converts into that. And the fifth thing that will help bring them to maturity is getting them into fellowship with other believers. The way people get linked to six or more relationships in the church is usually brought about by the initial follow-up worker. You begin to work with a convert and then you devise ways to get them around more people. We're very strategic in in the way we use our home for, for this in the kingdom of God is... Uh, We don't just invite people that are our favorites to come over. No, we invite people and we try to mix and match things that could maybe cross-pollinate, cross-breed a little bit, uh, uh, invite people in new arenas that they're not used to. uh, But however you do it, this is really incumbent upon the initial follow-up worker that one of your goals is I'm going to get them involved in more relationships. That means you can't have your nutty, kooky clicks. Get rid of them. Blow them up. Start spreading out, letting other people into your world. Unless you're going to be a gossip, then don't bother. Have home fellowships. Our homes are a powerful way. You better learn this if you're going to pioneer successfully. Our homes are a powerful way of introducing people into the Christian lifestyle. Go out after church. Invite others to come. So many ways to do this. But you must be getting these believers into fellowship with others. And until you see these things happening in those you're working with, then they have not been brought to full maturity. Now, I realize that there are obstacles along the way, and you'll work those out as you go, and some will resist the process, but you'd be surprised how many that you'll see begin to flourish just by making this approach. And until you see these things being brought to maturity in them, don't let them go. Don't prematurely kick them aside or leave them to themselves. And this involves everything from taking people out after church, opening your home and having them over, calling them for things other than just to get them in church. Otherwise, you just sound like a telemarketer. There's no relationship there. Spending time with them outside of church, constantly taking their spiritual pulse. Because people need a lot of help, a lot of love, 
a lot of prayer and a lot of attention. So the question is, who are you working with at this level? I'm asking you. Who's you? You. Individualize it. There's a couple. Who are you working with at this level? Stats say only 1% are doing it. Jesus said it's the lack of the kingdom of God. Will you surrender this altar to becoming a laborer tonight? Because that's what the need is. And immediately step out and begin to work with people at this level. And see what God will do. And you know what? It will be very therapeutic for you because it will make you take your eyes off yourself. That could be the best thing that ever happened to us. God is calling for labors tonight at this level. And so I want you to bow your heads with me and I want you to close your eyes as we ponder the Word of God as we have open heart to the challenge that's at hand. Jesus looked up. He saw so much need. He knew He couldn't meet it all Himself. He had compassion on them. But He knew if they don't get a shepherd in their lives... They're not going to make it. We're about the people business. That's what the kingdom is about. We can all probably point to somebody in our lives that spent and invested a lot of their time in us. And I realize everybody has a different capacity depending on a lot of things. And you have to work out what your capacity is. But everyone has the capacity for one. Everyone. You just have to make up your mind tonight that that's what you're going to do. You're here before I go any further. You're not right with God. Everything we do is about you. You, the one that is not right with God. Everything we do, this is all about you right now. To bring you to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You can be saved from your sin. Your life can be changed. That's what God is offering you tonight. And maybe you're here, you're listening to me tonight. God is dealing with you. And who in their right mind wouldn't want what Jesus offers? Peace of mind, joy unspeakable, forgiveness of sins. Get to go to heaven when you die. So much in between that he does in your life. The miracle of salvation. Or you can keep the bondage, the affliction, the torment, the anguish, the addiction, the anger, the hurt. To me, it seems like a pretty easy decision. But you got to choose. What are you going to do about your soul? It's in the balance tonight. What are you going to do about your eternal soul? What decision are you going to make? Are you just going to be a little religious on the side and talk about God here and there? Or are you going to commit your life to Jesus Christ and ask Him to forgive you of your sins? If you'll do that, I'm telling you, there's all sorts of things God's going to do in your life. And you're here and that's you. You, you know what, Pastor Puglisi, I'm I'm ready to get right with God tonight. I'm ready to give it all to Jesus. I don't know what it all means, but I do know 
that what you're saying is what I want and that that's you. I want to ask you to do something for me. I want you just to put your hand up. Put it up so I can see it. You're just acknowledging I'm not right with God. I'm a sinner. I need to get right with God tonight and I'm ready to pray. Would you pray with me? You just put your hand up so I can see that, so we can acknowledge that and know who to pray for tonight. Who would that be? God's dealing with you right now. You're not right with God. It's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to enter eternity, to leave this life and not be right with God. Because you cannot undo that. You can't undo it. It's forever. That's a scary prospect to not be right with God and be banished from heaven. But God is making every appeal to you tonight to get your heart right, to forgive you, change you, to love you, to make you right. And that's you. God's dealing with you. I want you to lift your hand up so we can pray. Who would that be? God's speaking to you right now. You may be backslidden. You once lived for God. You knew God. You were a part of it, but you've, you've let it slip away. It really is a regret. But you know what? God will receive you tonight. Just as you are. If you just come tonight. Just present your life back to him. He'll take it. Who would that be? God's dealing with you. Lift your hand up so we can see that. So I can pray with you tonight. Lead you to Jesus. All across this assembly, just put it up till I see it. And then you can put it right back down. It's just a simple prayer, but it's leading you to Jesus Christ. You're not right with God. You're ready to get right with God tonight before you leave this place. Come to Christ. You lift your hand up all across this place very quickly. Okay, listen, church. The harvest is great, but the labors are few. God is looking for laborers tonight. God is looking for those that will invest themselves in somebody and make that your occupation in life. And it's a lot of work. And each person is different. One may flourish quickly while others take a long time. But you're going to commit tonight, not just to kind of tinkering with people here and there and at your leisure, but you're going to commit to pouring yourself into somebody and bringing them to maturity on the on the terms that I've presented to you tonight. That's what we're answering the altar call for. Everyone has their different capacity. You have to work that out. I'm not here to dictate that. But all of us can be involved. There's no reason why not. Couples can take a couple under their belt. Single people can be working however it works out. You can go get someone saved and then make that. You're going to see them through all the way to the end, whatever it works. So we're going to answer the altar call on that term. I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to come and we're going to lay this before God tonight. Lord, I'm going to be a laborer. I know you're already... Jumbling inside, gosh, I'm already so busy, I got so much pressure, so much I know, but you know what? This is what God wants from us. This is what God is asking from us. If not us, then who? If we're not going to do it, then who's going to do it? And the Bible says that God is having compassion on people's. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers. 
This is the heart of God. He's tonight all that laborers would rise out of this altar call, that new workers would rise out of this altar call that would be willing to invest themselves and teach and take the time necessary for people. And I'm telling you, it's a blessing. It really is. It's a blessing. And once you get past the obstacle of your will, telling you it brings a liberty in your Christianity that you're not experiencing if you're not working with people. You get all caught up in your own little world and, and you know we're in the we're in the age where you can touch base with people all the time now. You have text, you have phones with you at all times. You know, in, in the early days of following up, you, you'd pretty much if you didn't get them on a landline phone, you had to go visit them. I mean, we have so much more going for us today to be in contact with people. and But there's nothing, there is nothing like being in the presence of somebody and working with them. Nothing will replace that. Nothing will replace that. And you know what? We're teaching our children. We're either teaching them a selfish lifestyle or a servant lifestyle by how we conduct ourselves. We're teaching our children, whether you like it or not. You hate it when we throw the child thing at your feet, but it's true. You want your children to raise up and be involved with people and be about that business, and you have to do it first. Oh, God, seal this word tonight by the blood of Jesus. Oh, God, as you appeal, raise up laborers tonight out of this crowd of people. Workers, there's so many here. You have so much to offer. You have amazing ability, but you're only using it on yourself, on your family. If you would just stretch out beyond yourself and begin to invest in people, oh my gosh. Can you imagine? The Bible says that they got established as many as were saved in the book of Acts, the reason is because that it was the culture that they created. Opening their homes, being with people, being in the, in the church together, constantly interacting, constantly working. Remember, the ultimate objective is, is a tree planted by the rivers of water. And that comes about through the rooting of the word of God, teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to evangelize and witness, teaching them a committed Christian lifestyle and getting them into fellowship with other believers. There's a strategy along with a lot of your own personal prayer that you give towards them. This is what the call is tonight. This is what you need to surrender to. I'm going to be a laborer in the kingdom. I want to invest in people. You can do it. Hey, I was saved in a pioneer work, and so we had no choice but to turn around at a very young age in our Christianity and start working with people. But there's some of you, you are so much more capable than anything we were. You have so much already invested in you that God has placed in you that you could turn around and invest in others. It's powerful what you could do if you would just do it. What song do we have?
This is my desire. Let's sing that as God moves and helps us tonight. This is my oh, God, desire. Thank you, Jesus. To wander. Oh, why don't you stand to your feet? If you know the song, lift your hands. Sing it out in worship tonight. I worship. respond to that God will bless it not only will we see tremendous fruit as a church but your life what it will do for your life you'll be amazed and I know some of you may say well gosh I'm just not good with people well you know what get with someone and and learn you know or, or just really ask God to skill you. you don't learn until you do it really sometimes you're forced into things that you're uncomfortable with but God will skill you in this. He'll give you ability. He'll give you grace. He'll teach you patience. He'll give you love for people. He'll place his compassion in you. This is what needs to happen. But we don't want to just tinker with this. We want to latch a hold of somebody and work with them and pour ourselves into them. We want to be evangelizing with the mind that I'm not just going to get them saved and then hand them off. I'm going to get them saved and I'm going to bring them to full maturity. Man, you know, I you, you could go down to Home Depot and buy plants that are already putting off tomatoes. You didn't do anything. Somebody else did it for you. But you can go plant them in the ground and try it from scratch. Begin get tomatoes. Now you did something. Amen. Let's do that with people. Hallelujah. We're going to dismiss. Don't forget tomorrow night. Spanish service, Friday night, youth. They have a meeting here by the piano tonight, youth. Uh, and then um, 
Saturday prayer and outreach. If you're going to Anthony, we do need workers. You go straight there. Otherwise, we're here at 10 in the morning. And then our edge, 8 o'clock, starting a brand new Sunday school on Sunday. Climate change and the coming economic revival. It's going to be an outstanding study. And then our regular services. Let's bow our heads. We're dismissing in prayer. Our brother Abel Pasillas is lifting his voice and dismissing us.